Welcome to Third and Nerd, the show that breaks down everything nerd culture with a little sports thrown in. On the show, you'll hear discussions about the latest superhero movies, TV shows, and comics as well. You'll even hear interviews from the artists and writers who helped create the characters you know and love. So strap on your super suits and fire up your flux capacitors, because here are your hosts, Josh Webb and Adam House. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new Third Nerd. Uh, this is uh, this is your boy Josh coming at you, uh, and I am joined, as always, by my uh, my esteemed colleague, uh, Mr. Adam Howes. How you doing today, man? Aside from you know screwing up your alarm. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, man. No complaints. No complaints. I'm alive. I'm awake. I'm alert. I'm ready to go. But- that's all you can really ask for, man. Like, there was one time my dog tried to get me up. I didn't listen. Then she jumped up on the bed and proceeded to crap all over me, which made me feel like I should have listened. But, uh, yeah, I'm telling this story to say that your day can start in a variety of ways. And as long as your dog didn't do that, you're all right. Yeah, no, he's been a good boy this morning so far. Oh, you know, Sherlock is a good boy, so. Uh, But we have a guest today, don't we? We do. Well, um, (laughs) he he came to us via my love uh, for his current run, uh, which you can catch on Marvel right now. If you jump in right now, you can catch up pretty easily because we're only four uh, issues deep into the run. Uh, so that it would be mindful of your time and your wallet. But uh, the series, which is Loki, uh, comes sort of is born out of uh, the events of War of the Realms, which, in my opinion, is one of the best events Marvel has done in I probably since Infinity. I I love the hell out of it. Um, but he's also written Black Panther versus Deadpool. Uh, done a uh, I I forget the name of it, but it's aimed towards kids, and it was inspired by uh, inspired <laughs> by Calvin and Hobbes, which and Charlie Brown as well. Um, but it's one of those like mini uh, 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 chibi type characters. Um, and he also did Lockjaw, who's a good boy, as we are talking about good boys. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up Lockjaw. But the author, Mr. Daniel Kibblesmith, has graced us with his time and his presence. So, Daniel, we bring you on now. You can find you are released from your cage. Go I'm ahead here. and speak. I can speak. Yeah. Uh, thank you for thank you for having me. I am I am indeed a very good boy. 
You are. <laughs> you are. Uh, I, you know, I just want to get started. I, I, I actually, I loved uh, uh, that. Well, I don't really remember the name of it, which is forcing me to now pull up my Marvel Unlimited. But I absolutely loved the little mini comics that came in that Marvel. I want to say like superhero team up is what it was called. Uh, yeah, but are you I talking abs- about the Spider-Man? I did a Spider-Verse yeah, thing. Superhero yeah. Adventures. Superhero yeah, yeah, yeah. Adventures is what it was. Okay, I've mm-hmm. now pulled it up. But there were so many panels in there that were inspired both by Charles Schultz and by Bill Watterson. And if you were a fan of either of those growing up, it took zero time at all to realize what you were doing. And I, and I just want to start before we get into the Marvel stuff and say that, like, for my for my money – I love Marvel comics, but the best comic to ever grace our presence is Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. Just start to end. It is the greatest. It never dropped. It never got bad. There was never a part of it where you're like, ah, this particular run doesn't work. No, it was it was amazing from beginning to end. And and I I absolutely love the hell out of it. Similarly, like Charles Schultz and, you know, he has to be mentioned up there with Jim Davis and Garfield as 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 you know, your one your one one A. <laughs> not how not how I would rank them, but I, I do get I do get accused of being one I, of the bastions of Garfield fandom, so I'll take it. I should I should tell you though, I didn't do uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to besmirch anybody. I didn't do the the Calvin and Hobbes or ah. Peanuts inspired ones. Unfortunately, I didn't even know those were happening until I got the final paperback. Until I got the collection, I was only able to do the um, the uh, what do you call it? The the sort of opening story. Ah in, yes. In um in the first issue, and then and then uh, a lot of what's in that issue is collected in the paperback that came out. So the only one I did. But I am really proud of it. Is the one where uh, Peter Parker uh, helps uh, is a Instagram influencer exactly. He takes a photograph for somebody in the park because Peter Parker is a photographer, and then they tell him they tell him he's good at it and that he should sign up for you know in the in the story it's like an equivalent of Instagram and it all Snapagram is what it's called. Yeah, exactly. Snapagram. Yeah, and it all turns out to be a plot by Mysterio. Uh, Who has his own maze in the uh, issue? If if you if you buy it, there's a maze in there. I was completely, I wasn't sure what I was staring at, and then I saw the solution to it, and I was like, oh crap, that was an actual maze. I'm like, that that to- it makes sense, but that totally skipped over my that whole issue. Just it took me back to my childhood, is what it did. It took me back to like the days of Archie when you would grab like the double digest off the shelves. There were just, it was short, sweet comics that, 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 that were just kind of fun. They were just, they were just kind of fun. But yeah, now you've I'm got really happy kids. to do it. Who, how would you rank? Who are your, where do, where do you, you say you're the bastion of, of, of Garfield fandom. Talk to me I about how you would rank. other people accuse me of that. Hey, you know what though? There's never, there's never a wrong time to love Garfield. I swear. Sure, Mondays maybe. Yeah, that's uh, true. but yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think Charles Schultz and Bill Watterson. It'd be very, it'd be very difficult for me to pick uh, between the two. And then I, I have an, a lot of unironic love for Jim Davis and Garfield, but I don't, I don't 
love it the same way. You know, it doesn't really like cut to my heartstrings and, you know, I'm not appreciating the craft of it as much. And then Garfield is like a funny pop culture phenomenon. Uh, You know, I I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that I read Garfield and find it to be funny in the same way that I read uh, old peanuts and, uh, and Calvin and Hobbes stories and, and find them to be funny or am moved by them. Garfield is more like this sort of equally bottomless pit of novelty. I mean, for for Pete's sake, he did have a uh, a Halloween episode that was basically the better part of a lot of people's childhood. Um, I think a lot of people remember that Halloween episode being played uh, so like around Halloween with the McDonald's nugget commercials and such. Sure. The annual phenomenon of of seasonal commercials. Yeah. And that thing's like it's scary that Halloween. I think it might be the best. I think it might be the best Garfield thing. I think it holds up better than uh than uh, uh, the other animation and is probably of higher quality than most of the comic. I need to I would I would I have not seen this. Yeah, it's it's very easily found on on YouTube. Like I I'm not I I'm not sure if the uh, uh the, the animation company posted it on there or what uh, a lot of these things are these older things. <laughs> I I bet they didn't. <laughs> I bet I bet they you know what though I seem I do seem to recall being able to find a wealth of Garfield stuff that was tied to the people who put it out. So if if you if you look on YouTube you can you can find it on there. Uh, and, and it's, uh, yeah, you know, it was pretty scary that, that voice and that, you know, like I'm going to get you stuff like that, that did kind of creep the crap out of me when I was a child. It worked. Yeah, they're not screwing around. No, I like they that weren't. We're, I like that we're, I like that we're telling people to support official Garfields. You know, don't, <laughs> don't, don't take money away from, uh, from, uh, Viacom formerly Paws Inc. Yeah, uh, make sure no. make sure you get those hardworking Garfield creators. Make sure you get a couple bucks in their pockets. Find find the authentic Garfield uh, yeah, uh, Halloween sure. DVD if you can. But I do I do recall that being sort of in the same run as 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 when you had like the uh, It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, um, and and then later on you know the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but. I definitely agree with you on the tone and message. Like I, I feel like Bill Watterson and and Charles Schultz definitely had more to say. When there, and there's no mistaking that when when you watch some of the Peanuts specials or read the Peanuts, that you know, like he didn't. I I recall reading an article and I can't remember who uh, uh, Schultz was going and visiting, but every year at the same time. He always honored his friend uh, and talked about going to have a root beer. Um, Interesting. That was like a ritual? Yes, yes, yes. And this was something that Charles Schultz uh, actually did. He had a friend who I want to say was either in the same company as him uh, during the war or or was in a similar. But but every year they'd get together and they would have a root beer. And this extended into the comics where uh, uh, Snoopy dressed up as, you know, the World War Two flying ace would talk about going to have a root beer with his friend. I and see. no matter 
no matter how lame the content was compared to what he was putting out, Charles Schultz didn't care. And he spoke on this, actually, because it did come up. And he spoke on this and said, no, 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 no. This is my way of honoring my friend, and I frankly don't care. It's going to continue to happen. Like, I get that it's not, you know, some deep comic. It's just me honoring my friend. That's yeah, all it is. That's you know, really there's, nice. There's not much more to it than that. Yeah. I also can't imagine um, anyone would be able to stop him. You know, it's not like they were going to stop right. it. They're like, oh, Peanuts is canceled. We're tired of this <laughs> root beer content. Yeah, right? Like, who gets upset over root beer content and Snoopy, like, going to have a root beer with his friend? Like, of all the things that you could be upset about, that seems like it would be pretty low on the scale pretty pretty yeah. damn low but uh let's 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 use that as a segue to to talk about your work the stuff you actually did instead of stuff i'm trying to give you credit for oh i appreciate uh, it hey you know what i'm trying to put bucks in your pocket let's do it um i want to start with loki man because like i said this comes out of war of the realms and i want to kind of start there I want to get your opinion of War of the Realms and then ask whether or not trying to take what, in my opinion, is the best Thor run of all time. And a lot of people felt that way about Jason Aaron uh, and that run and, and sort of wrapping it up in, into this little package. Was there any like crap like I have to now pick up the baton of where it was left off? and try and be uh, equally as entertaining as this series was, or if it was just sort of, you know, like I, I, I relate this to athletics. Was, was there a moment where you're like, oh, crap, or was it fairly easy to pick up the ball and, and, and run? I, yeah, I think it was, it was, it's always both, right? Like when you're doing, when you're doing famous characters, you're always standing in the shadow of somebody. And if you're doing Marvel characters, then you're almost always standing in the shadow of, among other people, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So it's always intimidating and it's always exciting. Uh, I think you want to honor everything that came before. Uh, and with, with uh, this Loki series spinning right out of War of the Realms, the stuff that I was such a big fan of that I, I wanted to do justice to and feel like uh, it was a continuation of was was not just Jason Aaron's Thor comics, but also Al Ewing and uh, Lee Garbett's uh, Agent of Asgard comics and uh, Kieran Gillen's uh, uh, Journey into Mystery comics, uh, because I, I really, really love what they did to modernize the Loki character. And I felt like that was the Loki that I was writing uh, as much or more than Jason Aaron's uh, interpretation, which still skews a little bit more villainous, uh, despite obviously being the same character. Uh, I think out of the necessity of it being a Thor comic, Jason Aaron's Loki is a little more the bad guy or sinister. And, you know, certainly now with like the flash forward, uh, stuff that he's doing as his, as the big finale of his, his Thor era, uh, where Loki is the, the necro butcher out in space, uh, at the end of all things. So, uh, I think because I was doing Loki as protagonist and not necessarily Loki as villain, uh, I was loving everything, everything War of the Realms. It was, uh, I think you're totally right. I think it's one of the coolest Marvel events ever. And, uh, I really loved the way that you got to see. I 
were so damn good too. It was incredible. And that's what I that's the other thing that I wanted to make sure I did with Loki is that War of the Realms was about Asgard stuff happening in the Marvel universe. Uh so you got to see, you know, Spider-Man and Daredevil and you know, uh you know Luke Cage uh and Captain Marvel all having to deal with Asgardian stuff. And then uh that's what I liked the most about it was that it wasn't in it wasn't in a little Asgard bubble the way that so many great Thor stories are um or you know cosmic space uh it was it was Manhattan uh and that's you know that's kind of where I live uh I I live <laughs> I work in in Manhattan uh so uh that's what's exciting about the Marvel universe to me is that it's kind of just outside my window and, you know, uh, generally speaking, outside all of our windows. So the characters that I tended to love growing up were like Spider-Man and, and Daredevil and Luke Cage and Moon Knights. The people who were sort of hopping around on rooftops were always my Adam, favorite. Adam is now salivating to get in. Like he you, by doing that, you just admitted that you were going to have way more in common with Adam on this podcast. Than you are. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there right now. But continue, continue. But that's the thing is that I, I then I had the opportunity to do this character who's very cosmic. Uh, and what War of the Realms did was it let Marvel Manhattan fights Asgard bad guys. Uh, so uh, what I what I hoped to do in Loki to kind of continue the spirit of it and to keep hanging out in the Marvel Universe that I love is I brought Loki down to Earth. Uh, we've seen we've seen a lot of Loki in Asgard and doing Asgard stuff. And uh, in our series, uh, he's just kind of bumming around New York and he's hassling Iron Man and he still goes on crazy cosmic adventures in between. But his goal is to be Loki, the hero of Midgard in the same way that Thor gets to be a hero of Midgard. So, yeah, I mean, I just I loved War of the Realms top to bottom. But I think that was one of my takeaways was that there is a shorter distance between Thor stuff and the street level stuff than there used to be. Adam, you you are released from your cage. Adam, do we have Adam? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know. He's having too much fun. Yeah. I was just meeting my uh, my familiar. But uh, uh, um, what's that? I'll be completely honest, like Daniel, I haven't had the chance to to read uh, your lucky run um, as yet. Josh has raved on about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, time just got away from me. But, uh, no worries, no worries. I, I have a big stack on my nightstand as well. What's that? Sorry? I said I have a big stack on my nightstand as well. I totally understand the, yeah. the mountain of comics that we are all, we are all climbing. Yeah, that's, that's a big part of it too. Um, but like, for the, it's interesting, like, when you talk about, like, bringing, bringing down to, like, uh, the street level like that. Um, and sort of having him, you know, be more of a mischief in, in that sort of like uh, setting. You know what I mean? That's something that I don't think has really been done a lot before with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was my other goal, too, was to to find stories that hadn't been told yet. And one of the things I really like about the character is that he's so uh, elastic and versatile. Um, it's kind of hard to find it's kind of hard to find characters and settings where Loki wouldn't work. Um, he's had these really fun uh, appearances in uh, things like Squirrel Girl and Miss Marvel and um, 
uh, I, I loved him on the teams uh, that came out of the uh, Infinity Warps uh, stuff, where he, you know, he'd be like hanging out with Wolverine. Uh, I, I feel like Loki has become a, or has sort of always been a Marvel Universe utility player. Uh, and the previous runs were so, the previous runs of, of Loki as protagonist comics were so mystical and uh, so tied to tied to Asgard and to, you know to the Ten Realms and to magic uh, that I I wanted to do uh, a take on that, but I also wanted to have it be the same Loki who hangs out with Squirrel Girl, you know, or the same Loki who who teams up with Wolverine. And in indeed, uh, next issue uh, is a flashback uh, Wolverine team up. So yeah, I think he's he's big enough to he's big enough to encompass all of these things, uh, and it really goes to the the core of his character, which is that he's not purely villain. He is just very very smart and kind of shows up with dubious motives and creates a problem that is now your problem that ultimately you cannot solve without him. <laughs> That's a fair way of looking at it. <laughs> It's sort of the ingredients. I mean, if there is a formula, and it, and it goes back, you know, it goes back to Norse mythology. If there's a formula to Loki, it is that he can never be fully exiled because he is the only one smart enough to fix the situation that he created. Right on. Like, uh, yeah, just segueing just quickly to um, sort of a mystical kind of like a character, sort or not a character, but something interesting that. That popped up on my radar when I was doing some research for the show. I was reading the uh, the uh, Deadpool uh, Black Panther run you did. Oh, thank and you. One cool, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm, up, I'm up to the fifth installment. I haven't finished yet, but um, one cool thing that I really enjoyed was like it's in the it's in the first issue where uh, the Wrecker appears and. Uh, you have uh, a character take away his magical crowbar. And the way that you did that and, and you sort of qu- questioned it, like, why hasn't anyone done this before? <laughs> That's yeah. like, thinking to myself, like, this is a very valid point right here. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? I'm sure he has. And just to be fair to previous creators, I'm sure that he has lost it before. I'm sure it's been stolen. I'm, I'm sure there's been stories told about it. But just generally speaking, he always seems to have the damn thing. Uh, and that's kind of how, you know, I, I'm also, I'm also a, a comedy writer and I, I write for, I write for a talk show and I've done other kinds of writing before this. But I think I think about comics as a fan, you know, I have for so long thought about comics as a fan. So you end up asking those kind of deconstruction questions, you know, when you're just sort of like taking the piss out of stuff, you, you, you point out like all the weird, like logical fallacies in, in something like uh, the bat signal, you know, and it's, it's just a fun conversation and characters like Deadpool and Loki are, you know, in the case of Deadpool actively breaking the fourth wall in the case of Loki sort of like knowing more than he lets on, uh, lets you hang a lampshade on stuff as a writer and kind of have fun with how inherently silly some of these things are. One hundred percent. Like you, you nailed it. Like when you said taking the piss out of it, like you know, because that was I, that's how I looked at it. You know what I mean? Like it was, it it, it hit me. For, it was like it was written from a fan's perspective as well as from someone you know 
looking at it with a little comic sort of like comical kind of approach. Um, Adam, I have but, to ask. I have to ask. Yes. Does does in your assessment thus far of what you've read does it hold up to my statement? And and I, I want to get Adam's response, and then I'll tell you what my statement was, uh, uh, Daniel. Sure. We Adam, this. Does, does it does it hold up to what I said about it? One hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Awesome. Cool. All right. So I told Adam before he started reading it that, in my opinion, it was the best Marvel versus series I've ever read. Oh God! And Thank I'm not you guys. saying that. Because you're a guest on the show. <laughs> I felt that way after reading it, and I, I tweeted about it then. There is evidence of me saying this prior to even asking you to come on the show. Uh, well, I, I greatly, I greatly appreciate it. And I think, I mean, I think I read, I want to say I read all of those before, uh, before I started writing because it seemed like, uh, one, it was fun. And two, it seemed like the due diligence that I, that I should be doing to, to sort of learn learn the rhythm of them uh, having not sense, done then, one before. You, you did. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> you know what? Honestly, b- b- I was sort of stunned to learn. I, I'll admit, I didn't actually uh, type your name into Marvel Unlimited to see how much you'd written until Adam sort of brought it up. And I was like, I wonder why Adam's choosing those books. And I saw and, – and, and, and it's just like how new you are to Marvel sort of stunned me with regard to how well that was done, like if that makes sense. <laughs> no, no, totally. I will, take, I will take that as a huge compliment. Um, and I, I, think a lot of, I think a lot of creators kind of are like that or, or, or feel that way, you know, or hopefully really try to hit the ground running because we're all thinking about this stuff all the time. You know, it's all, uh, all people who have been raised in comic book stores who say, once I get my shot at Moon Knight, my take is going to be blank, you know? And, uh, so they're new to being allowed to play in that sandbox. But the ideas are, you know, things that a, a, a lot of a lot of people have been kind of cooking for years. Um, and I, I really, I really love uh, uh, a lot of fairly new Marvel writers who are just kind of doing incredible stuff, like uh, like um, Teeny Howard and, and Donny Cates, off the top of my head, uh, are relatively new to Marvel, but are now like. Like, oh, they know exactly how these things work. Yeah, you know, it 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 hit all the right marks. It had the right pacing that you were talking about. And it also had that sort of you knew at some point that it was going to lead to a a team up. (laughs) Right. Those are the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the rules. And it was great to sort of have Deadpool. uh you know, sort of narrating this the whole way. Like, I mean, there's no surprises as to what comes because Deadpool's telling you. And at the same time, the comic is surprising in, in many other different ways. Like it, like I, I am curious though, because Deadpool is one of those characters that, that people seem to have a million different interpretations of what they do if they got him just because he's so rich uh, uh, there's so much you can do with him without sort of violating the laws of comics. And, and more importantly, he's just fun. 
He's just a character you can yeah. have fun with. I, I'm curious, which one was more exciting for you to write, Demisa Sarki or or Deadpool? Um, in a weird way, uh, in a weird way, uh, Black Panther was was far more exciting to me because he's one of my favorite characters. Um, you know, I'd say probably my favorite Avenger, whatever that means in, in 2019, you know, who I think of as being Avenger Avengers, you know, capital A Avengers. He's, uh, sort of my, my favorite one. And I, I knew having, um, written other characters for other companies, like I've done a little bit of Harley Quinn work. I had a run on Quantum and Woody. And I uh, hoped and suspected that if I if I kept working, I would eventually write something with Deadpool in it because I thought of myself as a logical choice for Deadpool. I could see an editor looking at my resume and saying, oh, we should put this guy on on like a Deadpool miniseries. Uh, Black Panther was a total surprise. Um, and I was so new to Marvel. Uh, the only thing I'd done at that point was the Lockjaw miniseries. So I uh, had Deadpool pitches and uh, uh, ideas uh, should should a window open for him. But, uh, you know, any versus character that they would have given me, uh, I would have been really excited about. But because uh, Black Panther is uh, right now uh, the Ta-Nehisi Coates domain and it's very complete and it's very specific, uh, I sort of thought that that character would be off the table because um, he's – part of this really um, elaborate world that's like largely the vision of a, of one creative team uh, and getting to do something that was uh, a little bit, not outside continuity, but um, just outside of, uh, outside of the, the current Black Panther For those momentum. who don't know what Daniel's talking about, it, Black Panther's in space, and, and, <laughs> and it, there's a whole bunch of weird shit that's going on, but, but, but the moral of the story is that the Wakandan Empire is intergalactic and, and d- different characters have different names because they were given those names out of respect for the actual characters that used to exist, but they exist many, many years down the line. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting convoluted and, um, and controversial to say the least, uh, run. In my opinion, spectacular. (laughs) I, I, I am on the other side of that wagon, but at the same time, the, the work that Ta-Nehisi Coates is because I don't want to besmirch one creator and not lift them up in another sense too. the oh, work that Ta-Nehisi Coates is doing on Captain America right now is just it. I could punch a wall. It's so amazing. Like really, I, really I look good. forward to that series every time it comes out. I'm not a fan of what he's doing with Black Panther, but, but that's his, he's earned the right to do this. And what I've decided that I'm going to do is I stopped reading it because it just like, I needed to separate myself from it and I'm letting it collect. And when it ends, I'm going to give it the, the attention it deserves. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to tell myself that I'm going to read this thing from beginning to end. And I'm not going to judge it until it's over, but on a week to week basis, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I just, I, it sure, was, sure. it, it, it was not your... something I was used to. It wasn't my jam. 
you know? Yeah, and exactly. it's really what comics come down to is not every comic with every character you love is going to work. I love the Punisher, but do not get me started on that crap where he became an angel or whatever the hell. <laughs> but like, don't, don't. Sometimes he's Frankenstein. Don't give me 25 minutes to go off on that because I'll leave somebody feeling like crap and I don't want to do that. Right, right. But, well, but, even before you know, even before Black Panther was in space, though, it just really felt uh, – it really felt like this very precious thing was being built by people who were not me. So when they said, yeah, you can totally do Black Panther and you can do it in 2018, the year that a Black Panther movie came out and sort of changed the entire pop culture landscape, I was – so, so happy and so, so blown away because um, I don't, uh, you know, reading what Coates has done, I don't think of myself as a good choice for a full run on Black Panther. But uh, getting to use him in a story where I am a good fit uh, was just just extraordinary. Um, so I, I assumed that I would get a crack at Deadpool. But uh, getting to write Black Panther felt like a career miracle. I'm so into it. You know, if what when you sat down and, and then I'll toss it to Adam after this, when you sat down and you said, OK, I, I now know the characters I've been given for this versus series. You you've done your due diligence in reading them. How did you outline this thing? And, and you know, I, I'm not going to spoil I, the, the basic plot here is 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 <laughs> we spoil terrible. it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you spoil it a little bit. Basic plot here. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll let the writer give the basic plot. So that way I'm not giving away anything that you, that you feel is critical. Sure, sure. I mean, the, the plot is so basic that it's kind of unspoilable. It's right. that it's that Deadpool made a mess and he needs vibranium. And he thinks the easiest way to get vibranium would be from Black Panther, and Black Panther hurts his feelings. <laughs> that's that's essentially what happened. But the the game the game of the miniseries that that I I will give away is that because Deadpool is fully self aware in the in the comic book universe, he knows that in Marvel Comics the good guys fight each other all the time. And then they eventually reach some kind of accord and they team up to fight like a larger villain. So what Deadpool thinks is going to happen is that, uh, the first, uh, they'll have a small misunderstanding. Uh, then they'll have some kind of fight with each other. Then they'll team up to fight a bad guy. Uh, then it'll turn into a classic, uh, Marvel team up. And then uh, at the end, uh, they'll be best friends. So that's how he has outlined his own miniseries. And the fun is when that doesn't go fully according to his plan. Oh, and there's so much fun, too. There is so much fun. Uh, there's a zebra. At there is a point. zebra. <laughs> there is a zebra. Like, I, without, without giving away anything, there's a zebra, and it's important, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Which... How did, how did you, what did you, did, is the zebra just one of your favorite animals? Was it just like a natural fit or how, oh, how did, I have no idea. I have no you idea. You just randomly that. selected yeah. the zebra? I mean, that's one of those classic, like, where do you get your ideas? I, I just truly don't, I truly don't know why that particular event happens in the comic, but I regret nothing. 
no, nor should you. Don't and don't even trip because my, my, I think my wife once described living with me as as a very inappropriate musical uh, that contains the most random plot you'll ever hear in your life, and and I, I sort of have these weird ideas that just happen and there's no rhyme or reason for them, but yeah. they just happen. So I totally understand this zebra thing on a basic level. It just, the zebra just happens. Zebra happens. Zebra happens. You follow, you follow your bliss. And we found the title for the show, Zebra yeah. Happens. <laughs> uh, Adam, <laughs> over to you, buddy. There's a few things I want to talk about like in the, in the series, but I also don't want to give them away. So it's a little bit tough to sort of – sort of know where to go um, from here. Um, but I'll, I'll, want, I'll touch on the villain, I suppose. I'm like, I just want to know, Daniel, did you have much choice in the usage of said villain or was that something that was just put on your desk, so to speak, and like, you were like, yeah, you have to play with this? Or... No, that was my idea. Um, I'm just a really, really big fan of that character. Uh, right. and, and I think that it's... Um, it's a a character. I feel like you guys are setting the table on how much I should spoil. So I'm going to be super vague about this. But um, we, we bring a character back from the dead in Black Panther versus Deadpool. Um, and the way we do it is really ambiguous because it's it's one of the bad guys who's had multiple people wearing that costume. Uh, mm-hmm. And even within Marvel continuity, and this is another kind of self-aware thing that we got to we got to play with because it's a Deadpool, uh, a partially Deadpool-driven project, and you can get a little fuzzy with reality, especially if you're using humor to do it. Uh, we kind of play it a little coy on which incarnation of this villain it even is. Uh, but a bad guy shows up who I've always been a huge fan of. And he's he's sort of resurrected, and his his brain isn't totally functioning. Uh, but uh, that was all that was all us. We all kind of decided, you know, who who I was excited about, and who uh, I should say the miniseries is drawn by uh, Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, and uh, his his designs top to bottom are amazing. Uh, everything's really kind of kinetic and fluid and like a little manga-y and really expressive. Um, and his redesign for the bad guy, for the, the character that shows up in number three, um, really, really good. I want it to become the definitive look when this character is in Marvel Comics from now on. Yeah, like you're, you're spot on the money there. It looks, he looks awesome in, uh, in, in said book. Um, it, it's interesting uh, that you went the route that you did with that character because I – you sort of uh, you sort of read where my mind was going when, because I, I was going to ask you, uh, in terms of like that character and its multiple incarnations, and then the sort of ambiguity sort of angle that you sort of took with it, uh, sort of coy, I think is the word you use. I think it was very very clever, um, and I'm looking forward to to concluding it, and because it's not being spoiled for me as we talk about it, which is awesome. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> uh, yeah, honest, thanks. I, I had it. considered that, Adam, but now I will. I will do my best to not spoil it for you. <laughs> Done well so far, man. Done well so far. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with Adam. That's what I think. The randomness of this series was so befitting of Deadpool, like. 
never once did you feel this this is the trick of pulling this off and and i don't know how much of a compliment or if this is like a, a an insult of any kind <laughs> old bruce uh, uh no 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 no. It's, it's 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 nothing bad i was gonna say never once do you feel like you're out of a deadpool comic nor do you feel like you're out of a black panther comic and i don't know how tricky that was to balance but it was kind of amazing that you never really felt like you were outside of the other one's world. Sure. I mean, that was definitely by design. Like, that was something that um, our editors in particular were very, very good about. Uh, because I think that it is easy to get sucked into how fun it is to write Deadpool. Um, and in doing so, uh, maybe also uh, reduce Black Panther to strictly a straight man. So we were all very, very conscious that they were co-protagonists at all times. Uh, they both had to be fully themselves. You know, Black Panther couldn't turn into a jerk just because Deadpool is more fun. And Deadpool couldn't turn into a monster uh, just because uh, Black Panther is more noble. Uh, I, I think that was that was definitely the goal. So we'll, we'll absolutely take that as, as a compliment because um, I was very conscious – of it being a 50-50 split, you know, almost down to, almost down to page count. You know, I, I don't, I didn't formally count out, you know, we have 10 Deadpool pages in this book and, and 10 Black Panther pages in this book, but I was very conscious of when we hadn't heard from the other guy in a while. And that was one of the other fun things about issue three, breaking it up, is that you have a five-part series, uh, so you can kind of devote... In in the case of our miniseries, uh, it, it ended up being constructed a little bit by instinct, a little bit by design. Um, you know, two Deadpool heavy issues, two Black Panther heavy issues, and sort of an interlude where the bad guy was almost the protagonist, right in the middle. So I think it reads down really well in a paperback. Uh, but I, I feel I feel good about uh, being able to give both of the characters their due because I think that's probably what people buying it want. And you also have, which I thought was was really true to Black Panther as well, is you have that moment where he's bouncing everything off of Ramonda um, and trying to get her perspective, which is, you know, sort of part and parcel of his nobility, the aforementioned nobility that you brought up is he always tries to live up to the standard of his father. And the only way that he can do that because his father is is now deceased, but the best way for him to do that is through counsel with his mother. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think also just in her own right, like um, I just I love that character so much, um, especially in the the Coates run where I think he he did such a good job giving her like a history and, and an inner life that is um, really hard with really hard with uh, superhero supporting characters in general and historically has been hard for like older women characters. Like, you don't, you, you, it took like aunt may like 50 years to become a well-rounded person. So that was one of the things I, I wanted to do coming in was like, make sure that Ramonda had like jokes and stuff and that she came off as intelligent and charming. You, you hit it. You hit it, man. Like I, and that sort of plays into why I said, like, I don't want to just say, oh, it was the best and not give you reasons. These are the reasons why <laughs> you, have, 
you have these things that are very specific to each universe, but they were brought in with care into this sort of whatever universe, else worlds, if that's what you want to call it. You know, they sure, exist. Sure, sure. It's not they, strictly in continuity, but it's not strictly not in continuity. It's uh, I do a lot of, of stuff that fits in the cracks, yeah. Especially, you know, early in a comic book writing career, I think that's really common, is that you end up doing a lot of stuff that sort of fits in the cracks uh, because you don't want to disrupt anything that, you know, like your Jason Aarons have been planning for 60 issues. I want to now know, because you've brought up some some pretty some pretty Adam-like characters, and this is where I'm going to give Adam a second life in this podcast, is I want to know now if you, if, if, if I'm like, you know, C.B. Sabolsky and I come up to you and I say, okay, you can do whatever you want. Um, I'm going to allow you to, to pick a character um, and, and we're going to give you, let, let's just pretend that people who are writing these people are, we're not putting them out of a job. You, you're doing a series on the side Fresh. of them, sort of, you, you know, you're doing a series alongside of them, similar to how we have amazing Spider-Man and friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Right. Uh, right. Okay. So we're not putting these people out of work. You're just existing alongside of them. You can do any character. Give me two characters that you're doing and why. Oh, two is harder because my go-to answer for this is yeah, that's that's good. That's gonna that's gonna take me longer because my go-to answer for this is uh, Nightcrawler. Um, I like all of the solo Nightcrawler stuff that I've read, and I think it's all very Nightcrawler in its own way. But I I don't ever feel like he's had sort of a definitive solo run the way that uh, Wolverine has. A lot of the X Men kind of haven't. Um. So that was the first that was the first person I, I uh thought of. Um and in terms of a take, uh I don't know. I don't know that I would want to spoil it on a podcast. It's uh, he's been my favorite my favorite comic book character full stop, you know, basically since I started uh reading comics as as a child. Uh so I'd wanna devote a lot of time and care to it. Uh but a second character um, you know what I'd love to do is uh, something um, something with Daredevil that is the opposite of whatever is being done with Daredevil at that time. So if there was a – right now, there's a really good, very dark and somber Daredevil comic. I would want to do like the chibi Daredevil comic that's going on the side. And if if there was like a light and sunny sort of like a like Mark Wade and Chris Samney's uh, original uh, take on Daredevil that was a little bit more of an animated series vibe, I would then want to do the opposite where I'm doing the scary, sad Daredevil comic on the side. Uh, I love, I'll, I'll pick two demonic Catholic guilt characters and say, and say Nightcrawler and Daredevil. And for the Daredevil, you know, the spectacular Daredevil, I would just do whatever's not being done in the flagship title. And that way, Daredevil fans, you know, including myself, can get uh, every every facet of that character that they love on a monthly basis. Well, you know who you could have as his arch nemesis in that, don't you, Daniel? If I did a chibi version? You always, if you're, you're going to do a Daredevil book, I, I, I know who your arch nemesis for him could be in that book. Oh, yeah, hit me. Vision. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. 
that is that is a reference to a thing that I wrote that we talked about. <laughs> I should have gotten it. It works though. It's a it's it's a groaner. It worked on me. I groaned. <laughs> Good to hear. Um, just uh, switching lanes a bit. I want to yeah. I want to touch um, on uh, your work uh, on a, on a TV show. Uh, with a gentleman named Stephen Colbert. Um, sure. you've been, as he is known. A, yes, that's the one. Um, you've been a staff writer on that show since 2015, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I've been there since, um, since the late show started. I was not on his previous show, The Colbert Report. Yep. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, I started, uh, when, uh, The Late Show started on CBS. Right. There's something. There's something on set. I want to ask you about. I want to. Want to. Want to know if you've had any interaction with it. And it's on the trophy wall. Oh, the shield. Yes. The, yes. I have had. I've had minor interaction with the shield. Right. Uh, I've been up there. I've taken a couple photographs with it. Um, I got to be on camera for something earlier this year. Um, we did a segment with the uh, Avengers actors where uh, mm-hmm. I got to ask them a question from the studio. Uh, and, yep. and in that segment, you can see that I'm up, I'm up by Mark, Mark Grunewald's shield, the real Captain America shield that he had made. He had made before you could get those. That's uh, right. It's, it's, an ex- it's an extraordinary, it is an extraordinary artifact on this planet. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that is on, that is on the Stephen Colbert set. I'm glad you mentioned his name because uh, that's you know one of my all-time favorite uh, writers. Um, his Captain America run, which is considered epic by all comic book standards, uh, was you know it was was a, a favorite of mine in my teenage years and is still a favorite of mine now. Um, and yeah, that's I remember seeing a photo of him with that shield many many moons ago. And uh, when I found out that it was on on that sh- on your show, on the show that you're part of, um, I thought that's pretty cool that it ended up there of all places. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so odd. It really is just one of those. I think that's why I thought of thought of it as an artifact just now because it really is just one of those winding, traveling, you know, story connected uh, objects. It's like Lincoln's hat or something. You know, it, it, it had a it had a journey. <laughs> Who was yeah. it that gave it to him? I forget, but I remember at the they gave it to him on uh, it was on an episode of the Colbert Report. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was Joe Casada. That's uh, right. Joe Casada brought it on. Uh, I I think you know, and people can go find it easily. I, I might have some of the details wrong, but I think it was because Captain America had died. Yes, and the they idea were doing a presentation of the new Captain America on his show. They were unveiling Sam Wilson, I believe, is what it was, right? I uh, or am I yes, conflating or, two episodes? I think I think those might be two different appearances because okay, the the Shield handoff was because Captain America was dead, and uh, the Stephen Colbert character was the only person patriotic enough to take up the mantle. So I don't think they would have done it on the same one where they uh, unveiled uh, Sam as Cap, uh, but that was that was the that was the impetus at the time was that because Stephen Colbert on the Colbert Report was you know synonymous with America and 
<laughs> the flag and bald eagles that Joe Casada thought you are the right person to carry the shields. Now that Captain America is dead. It was a pretty good bit and also uh, gets the shields to be at my workplace uh, every day now. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Now we've, we've uh, working on that show. I believe you also had the opportunity to meet uh the person who plays the character that you have currently are writing, uh, that was Tom Hiddleston. I did. Yes. I met Tom Hiddleston, uh, backstage, uh, backstage, uh, at the, at the Colbert show, uh, at the late show. Um, he was promoting, uh, I live in New York and he was promoting a Broadway, Broadway show, which also has, uh, Charlie Cox in it. Uh, so it's Loki and Daredevil are on Broadway right now. As of this recording, Loki and Daredevil are on Broadway, which is pretty funny. Right on. Did you have, did you happen to have a copy of your book there with you to show him or to, oh yeah. Him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I gave him a signed copy. Absolutely. Uh, I was not going to turn down, <laughs> not going to turn down the opportunity to give Tom Hiddleston, uh, a signed copy of Loki number one. Uh, he was very, very kind and he said that, uh, other people had also um, had him autograph copies uh, that he'd met uh, doing the Broadway show. He said, I've signed these before, uh, and he, he loves um, uh, the cover, uh, which is really nice of him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, great guy, very tall, very British. <laughs> how, how, how tall is he? Because it, I, people always say tall, and I have no frame of reference. Because he is... I'm- I'll, I'll put it this way. He is so tall that he would only look short next to Chris Hemsworth. That's, a, that's the best way I can phrase it. I have it. no it's, idea how big Chris Hemsworth is. See, I'm six. I'm almost six, six. I'm like 260, like six, five, 260. So, so you sound like you're Chris Hemsworth sized. So he would be smaller than you. Oh, okay. Like, so I'm five eight, and uh, oh, okay, and all right, now I get it. Considerably, considerably taller than me, noticeably taller than me, and I think that's really fun. You know, when you meet somebody that you see on television, uh, and what people often comment is like, "Oh, I met Tom Cruise, and he's you know he's three foot six. And uh, in the case of Tom Hiddleston, because he plays Loki, he you know he kind of he kind of scrunches himself up. He's playing like a lower status character who desires who desires higher status and he's next to Chris Hemsworth, who is, you know, this also this gigantic person playing Thor and, you know, Hemsworth carries himself, you know, very straight up and he's very Thorish about everything. Uh, so if you only know him from the movie screen, uh, I think it's easy to assume that Loki is, you know, uh, Tom Hiddleston, the Loki is uh, going to be uh, of average height. And he turns out to be tall enough that like you totally get why he also auditioned for Thor. It is a very logical choice when you meet him. I remember seeing I remember seeing his audition for Thor, um, and and I, I I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to one day see a, a what if, you know, even in a Thor movie, somehow just like a what if of of Tom Hiddleston having to be this beefed up hero carrying Mjolnir and and you know Hemsworth is this you know pre pre uh 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 super soldier serum 
uh, Hems or uh, uh, Evans type size, you know, like when he, sure. was, when he was when he was going through the military boot camp and such. Like it would ju- it would be humorous to me. It would be very humorous to me because I think a lot of people. I think didn't they include his audition as an extra on one of the uh, one of the films? I want to say like Ragnarok or something. Yeah, I've seen it on I've seen it on YouTube. Um, yeah, but, so I'm ass- assuming. Uh, I'm assuming that it's uh, released in some official capacity or, you know, or it leaked or something, but he talks about it in interviews and stuff. Um, yeah, I totally, I totally get it. I think that in a world where Chris Hemsworth did not exist, you know, it's, and it's so hard, especially after 22 movies, it's so hard to separate any of these people from the characters they're playing and like imagine a version where it, where it could be somebody else. But, I refuse um, to see anybody else as the Punisher after John Bernthal took that role. Yeah, definitely, definitely made it his own. Um, and that's a really good example because that's someone that had been tried so many times previously as well. Uh, that it's, you know, uh, Iron Man didn't have to compete with a bunch of other uh, mainstream Iron Man movies. I think uh, Tom Holland probably had like the biggest climb. Right. For anybody in the MCU, but but basically everybody else kind of got to be the, if not the first, definitely the definitive version right out of the gate. Uh, and uh, yeah, Punisher, great example. Um, I think that I kind of love all of the MCU casting. I think it's sort of the underreported secret of why that stuff works. And in particular, I love all of the casting in the Netflix shows. Uh, I think this brings, this brings you so, to a good, so good. I, I could do with a different Iron Fist. I, yeah, I, I don't think that was my problem with that show, but I but I totally get it. Um, I think like a like a different approach entirely, maybe. And that's uh, probably why I didn't have to reboot that character is because it's so the, – the look of the character is so fresh and so recent, but also the tone of that show. Like with The Punisher, you don't have to redo – Charlie Cox, you don't have to redo his approach to Daredevil. And we had Wilson uh, – or I, <laughs> we did have Wilson Fisk in a yeah. way on this show. Yeah, I'm not surprised <laughs> that it probably had, felt that way. <laughs> we, had, we had Vincent D'Onofrio on the show recently talking about – you know, his time as as uh, Wilson Fisk and, and you know, th- there's never going to be a dude of Michael Clark Duncan's size that has the chops to also play Wilson Fisk. So I sort of see Vincent D'Onofrio's look as as the definitive whis- Fisk. I like the way they pulled that off. And Deborah Ann Wool killed it as Karen, I think. I, I, so much of it is just personality. They, I, I don't understand how Marvel continuously hits roll after roll after roll after roll. Like they've had so few recasts in the MCU because the characters have been bang on. I mean, they did such a good job of casting J.K. Simmons as as uh, 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 J. Jonah Jameson that people refuse to allow Marvel to recast him. They're like, nope, not happening. You need to bring him back. And to be honest, J.K. Simmons could read a phone book and I would find it interesting. So, you know, I, I just you sort of hit the nail on the head with casting. Like which one of the the shows was your personal favorite? But I mean, for no reason, just you know, the one that you like the most. Um, I had to guess mine was The Punisher. 
You know, I, I really loved the Punisher. Um, I, season, season one of Jessica Jones and season one of Daredevil are kind of neck and neck for me. Um, but I, I think Jessica Jones kind of has the edge because I'm a really big, I'm a really big fan of, of, of both of those, uh, properties. But I kind of see how Daredevil becomes a TV show a little easier than I see how Jessica Jones becomes a TV show. And all of the, all of the, all of the stuff with Kilgrave, um, and, and the, you know, the, the metaphor is so, is so strong and it's so, it's so moving, um, in a, in a, you know, not like a sadness sense, but just in like a biological sense. It's so moving what that show does and visceral, uh, in a way that, uh, I don't think superhero adaptations really it got me to buy Brian Michael Bendis's run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not that similar for the most part. I mean, there's the definitive story is in there. It takes the comics a while to find or to reveal, I guess I should say, what is going to be Jessica Jones's movie story or you know Jessica Jones's season one of a TV show story. Uh, but once it's out, it's very powerful, and the way that they execute it is. I think really disturbing, like truly horrific in a way that never feels like an exploitation film. Um, yeah. The more I talk about it, the more Jessica Jones season one is one of my favorite things to ever come out of the MCU. I, I go with my favorite thing to come out and it's, it's, I consider daredevil season two to be punisher season 0.5. Oh, definitely. I really do. Yeah, I really love the the first half. Um, the 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 riff on I think it's a Garth Ennis Punisher story where he's chained to the chimney, right? Yep. That is yep. that is my jam. I am super into that. And I, I, for those who don't haven't read Garth Ennis's run, um, and the late Steve Dillon, who also brought Frank Castle to life, uh, just in so many so many different ways, um, in in the Punisher Max series, I. I, it to me it's one of the best comics ever written for a variety a variety of reasons um it just it hits home there's so many different things about superheroes that we love we we take them in we absorb them they become part of our daily but how many of us can really relate to somebody swinging around you know like you just can't the physics aren't there we don't have the tools i mean <laughs> outside of the few actors who've been strung up and zipped along these you know created lines you know most of us don't get to do that stuff but you sort of can imagine a dude losing it and and taking it out on people now obviously that's a very sort of controversial thing to say in in our modern America, but that's what I think sort of gives Castle a realness that you don't see with a lot of the other comics is that anybody could kind of become this person. And thank God we don't have this person in real life. Yeah, ideally. (laughs) He is not a hero. And and everybody who's written him has said this. He's not a hero. He, you know, which is, it's it's it, it it's weird that people see him as such, but he's not. I mean, but but that, you can sort of imagine this stuff, if you will. That's why I love the Punisher. It just sort of hits home with me, and and it's sort of got that Boondock Saints quality to it. 
where you want to feel like there's someone out there who's doing justice for the little guy who has nobody to do justice for them. And yeah, <laughs> I think I think Batman's sure. popularity also speaks to like hmm. a similar similar thing. I think that Probably there's safer. Well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't doesn't kill people for for one. So certainly, is more like a child, like more of a, a less controversial as a protagonist. Obviously, not controversial at all as a protagonist. He's Batman. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think that's one of the reasons that 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 holds so much appeal, and probably one of the reasons I liked the season of Jessica Jones so much is because her superpowers are not uh, the thing driving that show. Uh, all of the emotions are uh, separate uh, from her. She's, she's mostly the victim of superpowers. She has, her superpowers are all but useless against the villain. She, they, they, they can't do anything. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's great. And the way that that plays into the metaphor, you know, and I'm sure that they, they probably say it explicitly like a bunch of times, like, you know, all of your strength and you can't, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is very, very superhero writing and, and we're all guilty of it and we all love it. Yeah. You know, we've only got about a couple minutes here before we let you get out of here. I've been trying to be mindful of the time that we talked about prior to the show. Um, one last thing that I'd like to personally hit on is what what Marvel shows and I'm talking anything. What Marvel shows inspired you as a child like i mean did you did you latch on to any shows as a kid like like we did like what what inspired you and continues to inspire you to do like what are you gonna watch first when disney plus comes out let's be real oh well, loki obviously okay uh, Fair enough. That, for, for me i walked, yeah, I walked very... into that one didn't i, I walked for me into that's that a one. very easy question um yeah I, I mean i i can't wait i can't wait to see uh i think it's crazy that that uh, we have sort of uh, – that I lived this long, that uh, these characters have become so ubiquitous uh, that the the slow burn of, of superheroes in the 20th century caught up with uh, filmmaking uh, technology and also like – uh, filmmaking business practices, you know, the, the desire to have something like comic book continuity in a movie, which, you know, you wouldn't have really, unless you were talking about like serials in the, in the thirties and forties up until this point, uh, that, that the weird, the weird permeable border between comic books and movies and television have kind of created this real hunger for serialized storytelling and that you can love all of these characters so much that you start running out of them and that Loki gets to be a protagonist in a what a miniseries, I guess, uh, in, in effectively a TV show, because uh, it's one thing to take a chance on a Loki comic. You know, they've done that quite a few times. And, and I hope that ours will will keep going for for as long as, as people pick it up. But um uh, making a Loki television program, like a flagship launch title on a new streaming service is, is bonkers. And I think it speaks, uh, a lot to, uh, Tom Hiddleston's portrayal and all of the, the writers and, uh, directors and designers who, uh, helped him create this thing that people, people really, really, really love and that I, I also love and, and hope the comic books kind of reflect. So we've had a lot of people you know, come to the comic and say, this is my first comic, but I love Loki in the movies. Uh, or, 
you know, I'm obsessed with Tom Hiddleston and this is related in kind of a peripheral way, which I'll take. Uh, so that's the thing I'm most excited about that's forthcoming. The thing that I loved when I was a kid, of course, was the X-Men animated series. Ah, we, we had the good fortune of talking to, uh, Eric and Julia Leewald, um, who were the, uh, the couple responsible for bringing, uh, X-Men the animated series to life. Um, I don't know if I, I, I'm doing some shilling for them, but I don't know if you've had the chance to read previously on X-Men um, or if that's been put on your radar at all. No, I'm not familiar with this. this is okay, the, so uh, Eric – yeah, Eric and Julia Leewald were the two that created X-Men the Animated Series, so the husband and wife couple that worked with Margaret Lesh, who was the head of Fox at that time, to bring X-Men the Animated Series to life. Got it. Uh, Previously on X-Men, which, you know, you used to hear from Scott Summers at the beginning of every episode previously on X-Men. They parlayed that into the title of their book, which is a complete examination of how they uh, scripted it, how they brought it to life, how they, you know, it's soup to nuts how this show sort of came into being. And, uh, they, it's, it's on their website, uh, Jake, I know it's like Jacob Brown publishing or some stuff like that, but, uh, no, that sounds like a blast. I will definitely find that. If you, if you loved the show, then the book is going to be a perfect companion to this. Like it's, they talk about why they chose the Phoenix storyline, the dark Phoenix storyline, sort of, uh, uh, the Xavier storyline where um, he's dead and things are, are, are massively different. Um, they talked about that. It's, 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 it's a really tremendous book. If you get the chance, I'd, I'd check it out, but yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I am in. Uh, so before we let you get out of here, Adam, do you have any last questions? I have one last question for you, Daniel. It's a quick one. Uh, Moon Knight casting. Who do you want to see play? Coming. Oh man, Moon Knight casting. Uh, I heard so, so I love the Keanu choice. Uh, I heard somebody say Andrew Garfield and now I, now I am a hundred percent committed to that. Uh, I think that, um, I saw him do Angels in America, uh, and he has a lot of, a lot of hallucinations and big feelings and meltdowns. Uh, and I, I think that, uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, at his, at the age he is now, post Spider-Man, uh, being a totally unhinged, uh, Mark Spector, uh, would be spot on casting. I would love to watch that. Is but, you know, Hugo? uh, I heard that he was, which I know what? that they're interested, I know they're interested in doing, uh, in doing casting of a Jewish person. Uh, which, you know, you might as well. There's a lot of Jewish actors. Well, not just that, but I feel like you've got to be, if it's central to who the character is, like Magneto, unless you're going to do something where I've heard them casting him um, as an older uh, African um, who was part of the the, the uh, Hutu and Tutsi uh, conflict. And I'm like, unless you're going to do, so, unless you tie him to a different genocide, then you need to honor that sort of Jewish heritage of, of characters like Magneto and Moon Knight because it is central to who they are. Outside of that, I don't care. If it's not central to who they are, then it doesn't matter. I just think as long as it's central to who they are, it should be a part of it. I've heard Shia LaBeouf for him. 
I wouldn't hate that. Yeah, I think Shia LaBeouf is a is a underrated performer. Um, I think because he, he's had so many public career ups and downs, um, people uh, tend to write off uh, his abilities, uh, which I, I don't think is is Marvel fair. Marvel has never accurate. cast yeah. anybody at all with with previous problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Exactly. But. So uh, yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a really that'd be a really extraordinary uh, leading leading man comeback for him. Uh, and yeah, I think he'd I think he'd do a similarly excellent job embodying the angst. Fair enough. Hey guys, All right. before you get yeah. out yes, of here, Scotty, Daniel, was... just to let you know, you can get previously on X Men at Jacobs with an S Brown Media Group dot com. The people at home can hear me typing this. Uh, <laughs> That's that, fine. That tab is open. And I you believe if you buy it from like, there, they will send you a signed copy. It. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. That, I believe they are. I'm pretty sure they autograph it. And if, if you tell them who you are, they're actually on Twitter at uh, X-Men or X-T-A-S. Is their Twitter X T A S? Got it. That's well, that's the Leewald couple. I got bad news for everybody because I'm buying it on Kindle. But that is, <laughs> I that don't is think they care. Good to know that is good to know. That I if, if I want they... one as a gift for somebody, then I, then I can. Uh, but no, we're gonna get this baby tonight. Hell yeah! I, I you know what? I think they are more concerned about the money in their pocket than the way you go about doing. That stands to reason. Stands to reason. So, before we let you get out of here, Scotty, did you have anything? I don't actually, but I will say I do appreciate the beginning conversation about Garfield and Snoopy because I just so happened on complete accident to be wearing a Snoopy shirt today. So, well done, guys. (laughs) For the folks at home. I happen to be reading the uh, complete Calvin and Hobbes collection. I have... uh, I have the Bill Watterson extended collection, which I think it was like a hundred bucks at the time, but it includes everything. Yeah, so I was reading that. Well, that book, the Spider-Man book inspired me to go read the other. So it was actually the book that came after your work that inspired me to read that today. So got it. Got it. But speaking of your work, before we let you get out of here, we like to give every guest a little bit of time at the end to not only promote themselves on social media, wherever people can find you to interact with you. Um, but we also like to let you use this time to talk about any upcoming projects or anything that you want to put on the radar of people. Um, obviously we've talked about black Panther versus Deadpool and the Loki series, as well as, uh, the Lockjaw miniseries, which all can be found on marvel.com and several of them can be found uh loki not yet because it's too new but all of his other work can be found on marvel unlimited if you're a subscriber to that as well which i shill almost every week it's pretty great it's sort of crazy the amount of the amount of stuff that's on there for it's how unfair much it costs. yeah it's, it's unfair it's, it's the best deal in comics i say that every week it's the best deal in comics yeah it's it's no joke um let's see i mean that's all the marvel stuff uh which uh i imagine uh people would be most interested in listening to this podcast um but uh the only thing, you know, I got some some secret stuff that I, I can't talk about yet. Fair enough. Uh, but but uh, you can follow me on social media at Kibblesmith uh, across all platforms. Uh, my website is kibblesmith.com, and that gets updated pretty regularly. 
Uh, and the only other thing that's forthcoming that's been announced is a children's book uh, coming out next year called Princess Dinosaur. So if oh. you know any, if you know any toddlers who love uh, or behave like princesses and/or dinosaurs, uh, this book is for them and about them. Uh, so uh, that's with uh, an illustrator that I've worked with previously called uh, named uh, Ashley Quatch. And that's coming out from Little Brown Young Readers next year. So you, you can get that at, at bookstores and uh, and uh, Amazon very soon. That sounds exciting. I love dinosaurs growing it's gonna up. Be, it's going to be fun. It is for people who loved dinosaurs. It's for I people think. who are currently love dinosaurs growing up. I, I, you, like, you, you, people, horrible people, that's who. Like, if you don't love dinosaurs, I don't know what to tell you. There's, I think there's got to be a fascination with them. Like, how can you not have at least have some fascination with these creatures that existed en masse many years ago and look like they could destroy us if they wanted to? If they were brought back, they would give yeah. us a serious run for our money. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel, real quick, actually, since you mentioned the children's book. Real since quick, you mentioned dinosaurs, Scott's if, got something. If you have <laughs> If you have any advice for somebody who is wanting to write a book or has an idea for a book but doesn't know where to start, what advice would you have for them? Uh, the, it depends on how you want to do it. But the shortest, the shortest, shortest, shortest answer to this question is figure out if you want to self-publish it or if you want to go the traditional routes. And if you want to go the traditional routes, uh, start cold submitting your idea to literary agents. If you want to self-publish it, then get a friend to draw it and do that like tomorrow because there are no barriers to entry. Cool. Thanks, man. So, well, yeah, of course. Daniel, I want to thank you for uh, not just your candor, but all the time you've given us. It's it's really appreciated, and the beautiful part about it is is that it completely ties into guests that we've had in the past. So I I feel like having you on is a validation because you're you're talking about we're hitting the right mark if if you're talking about people that we're interviewing, you know. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a good it seems like a good lineup, and I know you've got some exciting ones some exciting ones coming up, so you know. Can Congratulations, of course. May have. See, you know, in, in the spirit of, of of you working on or working with Stephen Colbert, tomorrow I will be talking to on a special episode of Third and Nerd, I'll be talking to Roy Wood Jr. Um and uh I can't wait for that because yeah, such I such a big I imagine, fan of that guy. So I'm so I'm gonna funny. set it up. I'm just gonna set it up and let him knock him down. So I talk good. a lot on podcasts, but I'm not going to tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, he'll he'll do fine. He'll be okay. So uh, <laughs> he's a pro. But, uh, Adam, do you want to say thanks before we let Daniel get out of here? Yeah, thanks, Daniel, for coming on the show. The show went way too fast. Um, I feel like I could have asked you many, many more questions, but uh, that's why we have Twitter. So expect some tweets forthcoming all, all the time. That's where I live. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Don't we all? So thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Third and Nerd. Uh, we'll pretty much call it there since we've talked about everything we want to talk about. Uh, so thanks to Daniel again for coming on. And like I said, check out his work. If you're not reading Loki, I'm telling you, you're missing out on one of the best comics currently out. It's only four issues in. I reserve the right to change my opinion. But as of now, I am completely <laughs> in love with this comic. It hits all the right notes for me. And I don't expect that to change in any way, shape or form. 
I really well, I truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, uh, everybody. So for Daniel and Adam and Scott, I just want to say thank you. Uh, wait, Scotty, one second. What, where, where can they find your podcast with Steve Weish? Because that's now available. It is not, actually. That's coming in a few oh, weeks. Oh, okay. It's not available. Okay. So Scotty <laughs> talked to NFL Network Steve Weish. I hooked him up, and, and that interview will be forthcoming as well. So everybody, thank you for your time. We'll be back tomorrow. Peace out.